0: Alright, good morning everybody. Welcome to North Church. Um, I think everybody knows me. I'm Ben. Uh, Rick's out of town or on his way back or something playing golf, having a good time. So uh, he asked me to preach this morning and I said yes again, believe it or not. Um, so before we jump into the, the chapter into Psalm 32, take a look back here, your back right hand corner. There's the canvas back there on that table. There's uh, some Sharpies. So during this summer in the psalm series, we started this canvas, and it's basically to write uh, attributes of God that are revealed to you while we're studying. So maybe you hear something while we're reading through this psalm today, or maybe there's a word or a phrase that's jumped out at you over the last couple of weeks. I encourage you to get up before church, during church, after church, whenever, and uh, write, that, write that word on that canvas, because uh, the plan is we're going to hang that canvas next to this blank canvas somewhere in the church when we're all finished, and we'll have that uh, remembrance there of this series. Um, So the psalm that we're going to jump into this morning is Psalm 32, um, and it's usually classified as a thanksgiving hymn. So it's a hymn where the worshipers, worshipers are giving thanks to God for the joy of having their sins forgiven. So in this psalm, David's crying out to the Lord, and he's giving thanks because his transgressions have been removed. Um, so some people they like to tie this psalm to psalm 51 which is when david with the bathsheba incident i think we all know about the bathsheba incident so josh i think you know about the bathsheba incident you to shake your head yeah so some people will tie this to psalm 51 um, where david is crying out to the lord because his sins have been forgiven um this could be uh something that sticks with or wait hold on lost my spot Okay, so a couple of the main themes of Psalm 32. We see um, an honest confession by David, and we see the complete forgiveness of God. Um, We're also going to see the merciful nature of God revealed throughout this passage. Um, So like Rick's mentioned the past few weeks, this forgiveness that we're offered, it's not forgiveness like we forgive other people. Um, It's not, there's no strings attached to it, there's no limits, there's no take-backs. Uh, It's true, complete forgiveness. And as Christians, we are afforded this complete forgiveness. So I'm going to read Psalm 32, and then I'll pray, and then we're going to jump into those first two verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away— Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for your psalms and the message of complete forgiveness. I thank you for the mercy that you afford to us on a daily basis. I pray that your message is heard this morning, Lord. I pray that you're here with us and that you're helping us understand how wonderful and merciful you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so those first two verses of Psalm 32, there's no way, they're great news. They're great news to Christians. And that's really the beauty of the Psalms is that we don't have to dig into like a deep word study or we don't have to look for another, we have to dig deep for a meaning. We can just read a couple verses and just behold who God is to us. And we really can't, we can't breeze over this fact that, that God, that we have this great news, that we have that we are truly forgiven. I'm going to reread those first two verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is a fundamental belief of Christianity, that we're sinners deserving death, but we're forgiven. Um, so I really think we should just take a moment to celebrate that this morning. And since Rick's not here, I figured I needed to do something cheesy during the sermon. So I just want us we're going to repeat, I am forgiven. So I'm going to do like a three, two, one, and then we're just going to say, I am forgiven. Because this is so crucially important to us as, as Christians. Are we ready? Is everybody going to participate? Boston, are you going to participate? All right, here we go. Three, two, one. I am forgiven. I mean, it's such good news. Uh, the, mer- the merciful character of God is revealed to us in those first two verses, and we're forgiven by no works of our own, and that's something you could write on the canvas if you wanted. Um,. Paul actually uses these these two verses in the book of Romans when he's explaining that Abraham is justified by righteousness instead of works. Romans uh, chapter 4, 3 through 8 says, "'For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due.'" And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one whom God counted righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no sin. So we're truly blessed. We're forgiven. And really, I think that we could just call it a wrap right here on this sermon because there's, that's all we need to know. But I don't know that I'd get asked to preach again. So I think we're going to keep going and I know that there's more to learn from in these scriptures. <clears throat> we're going to look at Psalm uh, verses 3 and 4 next here. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night... Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. So David's recalling a time before he confessed his sins. This is a time when he's trying to cover his own sin instead of confession. It leaves him feeling with these feelings of wasting away and groaning and heaviness and weakness. I don't know about you guys, but I know I can relate to those feelings when there's unconfessed sin in my life. Um, I especially think about times where I've told a lie or you've told a lie and then maybe you have to tell another lie to cover up that lie and you end up in this this situation where you have a lot of pressure, where that sin is the thing that's always in your mind because you're worried about being exposed. When we try to cover our own sin... We fail at it every single time. We cannot do it. We're not capable of being our own Savior. And that's what we're trying to do when we when we run and we don't confess. Only God can take the burden of our iniquities. And we see this reality in verse five. It says, David, it says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So when we confess, and I'm talking really fast right now, when, when we confess, God covers our sins completely. He sent his son to this earth to pay the ultimate price as the substitute for our transgressions. I found this quote by C.H. Spurgeon, And it talks about sin and substitution. And they got it up there already. Sin is an accursed thing. God, from the necessity of his holiness, must curse it. He must punish men for committing it. But the Lord's Christ, the glorious Son of the everlasting Father, became a man and suffered in his own proper person the curse which was due to the sons of men. That so, by a vicarious offering, God, having been just in punishing sin, could extend his bounteous mercy towards those who believe in the substitute. So that's the gospel right there in that quote. That we're sinful, but we're forgiven, and that God sent his son here to pay the price for us. Because our sin, it must be punished, but as Spurgeon said, the bounteous mercy of God... Because of that, our sin is completely covered when we, com- when we confess. We're completely forgiven. This is a reality for us because of Jesus. He was the ultimate substitute. But we can see substitution before Jesus. It's kind of like a foreshadowing to the ultimate substitute that was Christ. So in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve have sinned and they realize that they're naked and they're hiding in the woods or the, or the garden from God, when he finds them, he kills an animal to create clothes for them. So God institutes the principle of substitution by killing that animal to provide their clothes. We also see the idea of substitution in Leviticus chapter 16. Um, God is laying out instructions for sacrifice, because he knew that the Old Testament law, that the men couldn't follow all those rules, that they were going to break those rules. So he provided for this sacrifice as a way for people to be in right standing with God. So these animals, and if you read Leviticus, I mean the instructions, it's, it's not like go find an animal, put it on the altar. It is specific. It's specific animals. It's specific times, specific ways. Um, but those animals, they're the substitute... For, they're the punishment for our sins. And then, of course, we have Jesus, our ultimate sacrifice. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, this is, this is what I want us to just be confronted with this morning, is that God is our substitute and that he's a merciful God I want that character trait of him to just sit on us as we leave this place, as we go about our days. Because without that, like what's the point of our Christian walk? We would fail every time without Jesus. Because of God's mercy and because Jesus was our substitute and because our sins are blotted out, we're able to take refuge in him. We're able to be He's able to be our hiding place. 32, 6, and 7 say, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. It's really interesting to compare how David's feeling in verse 4, if we think back to verse 4, it's when David's trying to hide his sin, and he has all those feelings of the groaning and the heaviness, and especially God's hand being heavy upon him. When we try to cover our iniquities, that's what we feel like. But when we embrace honest confession, like David does, and then in verse 7 we see that he's able to find a hiding place in god he's able to take refuge in god because he's confessed his sin and he's embraced this honest or this whole true forgiveness he's able to hide it in god so really it makes you wonder it makes me wonder as i'm studying this it made me wonder so why if i know that i'm forgiven and all i have to do is confess and i'm fully forgiven why do i try to hide my own sin And I think that really the simple answer is that it's pride. Because I'm either too proud to admit that I don't have it all together, or I'm too ashamed to admit that I struggle with sin in a certain area. So I was thinking, well, you know, where's the area in my life where I try to cover my own sin the most? And for me, the consistent sin that I struggle with is lust. And that's the sin that I want to cover all the time. Because I have, I have shame about it or I'm embarrassed about it. I don't want to have like anybody ask me about how I'm doing in that area. I don't want Stephanie to ask me. And if someone asks, I'll probably be really defensive about it. Or maybe I'll tell one of those lies and have even more unconfessed sin. So I realized, though, through studying this psalm, and it wasn't that I realized, I guess I was reminded That allowing the shame to prevent me from honest confession, it's really it's absurd. Because the sin is already forgiven, the price is already paid, our substitute has already come and died. Chasing this appearance of perfection by trying to cover our own sins, it diminishes Christ's finished work on the cross. We don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to cover our sins. And this is really encouraging. It's freaking encouraging. Because of substitution, we have forgiveness. I am messy, and I'm forgiven. I'm a sinner, and I'm forgiven. Pride, shame, embarrassment, the things we feel when we fail to participate in honest confession, they pale in comparison to Christ's finished work on the cross. So let that be an encouragement to us today. These last few verses of Psalm 32, they're meant as an encouragement too. We need to rejoice in these verses knowing that we no longer need to feel shame. I'm going to read 8 through 11 here. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So these verses, they're directed to fellow worshipers, because remember this psalm is a hymn. It's a thanksgiving hymn. So these, they're meant as motivation for us to participate in honest confession and to be glad in the Lord who, sh- who shows such goodness to his people. We really have to be preaching these concepts to our hearts on a daily basis, and that's a big motivation behind this summer in the psalm series, is that we as a church get into rhythms of reading the psalms and preaching the psalms to our hearts. So reading and meditating on psalms like Psalm 32 that teach us about forgiveness, it's a great way to drive home the fact that we are forgiven. This is a tool that we can use to combat the shame that Satan is so desperately wanting us to feel. Because only, Satan only has one, one strategy, and it's to tell us lies. And a lot of times those lies leave us in a place of feeling ashamed. So preaching these things to our heart. We can fight against that. We can push back against it. Rick's always encouraging us to use our smartphones to remind us of the character traits of God. I think that a couple phrases like, my sin is completely covered, or blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, those are some alarms that we could set for this week. Um... And just when, we, when that goes off, we just take that time to really focus in on that, say a prayer, or meditate on that phrase for a while. Because it's reality, and in our day in, day in and day out life, a lot of times we don't remember that, or we get too busy with something else, and we're not really interacting with our Savior. Basically, the goal is to encounter God's mercy as often as possible. And the, the encounters with the mercy, they'll shift how we think of ourselves and others around us. It teaches us to be a people who participate in honest confession and embrace the full forgiveness that God offers us. So I'm going to close this morning. I don't know how long that was, but it didn't feel very long to me. I'm going to read this phrase over us once more: "I am a sinner and forgiven." pride, shame, embarrassment, the things we feel when we fail to participate in honest confession, they pale in comparison to Christ's finished work on the cross. Let that be an encouragement to us today. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your son. We praise you for the gift that we have, the blessed gift of forgiveness, Lord. When we try to cover our sins, we fail every time. We must turn to you, Lord. I pray that we're encouraged this week by your word, that as we read the Psalms, that your character traits are revealed to us and that we embrace your mercy and your forgiveness. We thank you for sending Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray, amen.